following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw or our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Well, it's good to be here and be able to present. I can tell you, um, you missed out on something. We all did. I was going, I talked to Reuben months and months ago about this message I had that was going to bring in some quantum physics and some cool science and videos, and I must have spent 25 hours putting it together, and now it is absolutely gone. Maybe in cyberspace someplace, I don't know, but I can't find it on my computer. But So today I'm going to talk with you um, um, about what if Jesus had never been born. Now, I, how many have ever seen the Christmas movie, It's a Wonderful Life? How many have seen that? I don't know if it's an American classic, but, but it's a feel-good Christmas movie, 1946, Frank Kappa uh, movie. And it's about, for those of you that haven't seen it, and a reminder for those of you that have, it's about a guy named George Bailey, played by Jimmy Stewart, that one Christmas time, he gets really despondent to the point of suicidal. He's thinking, gosh, what's it all worth? I've lived a good life. I've done the best I could, and I haven't even made a dent. I haven't done anything in, in my home city, Bedford Falls, the imaginary Bedford Falls. And so he's so despondent, he jumps off the bridge. And those of you that have seen the movie, spoiler alert, he gets saved by the angel, what was it, Clarence? Was it Clarence? It was Clarence, right? Okay. The angel Clarence rescues him out of the river, and he shows him his life. He shows him what Bedford Falls would be like if George Bailey had never been born. He shows him the past future of Bedford Falls and what the present would be like and even the future, what it would be like if George Bailey had never been born. And he cheered up and he thought, wow, I really am making a difference. And it is a wonderful life. Now, today we're going to take a similar but uh, serious question. We're going to ask ourselves what the world, how the world would be different if Jesus had never been born. Now, I've got to give credit where credit is due. Neither the title nor the content are mine. There was a book by, uh, uh, I think it was the 1990s, uh, by, by D. James Kennedy, and he wrote a book, and, and uh, it's been made into movies and whatnot, but um, I'm going to do my best to recreate what he did. So the question is, how would the world be a different place if Jesus had never been born, if his disciples, if Christians had never been a part of it? Now, the critics, the critics would suggest that the world would be a much better place if Christ and his Christians were not a part of it. For instance, one of the most influential and famous critics, atheists of the 19th century, Frederick Nietzsche, he's the one that popularized the God is dead statement. He says, Christianity remains to this day the greatest misfortune of humanity. Hmm. The 20th century, one of the most influential atheists of the 20th century, Bertrand Russell, He says this, the Christian religion as organized into its churches has been and still is the principal enemy of moral progress in the world. What about the 21st century? The late Christopher Hitchens, he wrote a book, God is Not Great, How Religion Poisons Everything. It wasn't specifically addressed at Christianity, but it included Christianity. The big question then is, are the critics of the 19th, 20th, 21st century? Are the critics correct? Or has Jesus and his followers actually made this planet a better place? So today I want to spend a few minutes giving you an apologetic. That's a defense of Christianity to show the truth of the matter. And my premise is, although Christianity 
we have some ugly snapshots in our album, our portfolio, the Crusades and the Inquisitions and people doing very unchristian things in the name of Christianity. Uh, it's just like you look at your photo album and most of it is nice, good, family, fun, but you got the ones where you're looking like, or you got your finger up your nose, it seems, or whatever. Ugly snapshots, but yet a wonderful portfolio. And I would, my premise is that's what Christianity, yes, some ugly snapshots, those claiming to be Christian, but maybe aren't, but our portfolio is wonderful. We've got a wonderful portfolio that God's gift to the world in Jesus Christ was just that, a gift to the world, a blessing to the world. When the herald angels came and they announced peace on earth, goodwill towards men, they did herald good news out there with the shepherds that day. So how is the world a better place? Because Christ came. What benefits have Christ and his followers brought to mankind? Well, in several areas. The first area we'll explore has been the impact on the value of human life. Since Jesus came to earth, the world has begun to ascribe much greater value to human life, all human life. Human sacrifices were very, very common before Christ and until Christian missionaries arrived. Many ancient cultures would engage in human sacrifice to gain the favor of their gods or idols or even their, their earthly rulers. And it was considered perfectly normal in most of the cultures of the planet. Cannibalism, I know this is a bit morbid, I'll jump off of this quickly, but cannibalism has been practiced in many societies throughout history, up until kind of even recently, especially in the Pacific Islands. I think Papua New Guinea in the 1970s finally abolished cannibalism. In the 19th century in the London Times, there was an attack on that paper on foreign missionaries. What gives Christian missionaries the right to impose their morality and values on other cultures? What makes their morality superior to any others? Sound like something you might read in the New Zealand Herald today, doesn't it? Christians are always trying to impose their morality on others. What, what gives them the right? What makes them think their morality is superior than those embedded in the culture? Now, at that time, there was a very experienced world traveler. He had been around Africa. He had been around South America. He traveled around the Pacific Islands. <clears throat> and he saw firsthand the savagery, the cannibalism, the cruelty on the islands and around. So he actually wrote a letter to the editor, criticizing the article. He says, For should any Englishman be cast ashore on some uncharted island, he would, he would devoutly pray that the lessons of the Christian missionary had reached the island before him. This world traveler was none other than Charles Darwin. Yeah, no friend of Christianity later on, but he realized the civilizing and moral effect that Christianity and the Christian missionaries brought to the islands of the South Pacific. How many have seen the movie Gladiator? There we are. Not really a Christmas feel-good movie, but then neither is Die Hard, and we watch that, don't we? <laughs> but it, acts, it, it accurately depicts the blood sport that went on in the Colosseum, where gladiators fought each other to the death, or even wild animals to the death. We kind of have our own version of it in, in New Zealand. It's uh, rugby, right? The blood sport that happens in Eden Park. Seriously, though, how long with the, with the barbarity, how long 
would the gladiatorial games have continued if it weren't for the act of one Christian man, an Egyptian monk named Telemachus. Anybody heard of Telemachus? Wonderful story. Those of you who know your Christian history. He was an Egyptian monk, an ascetic. He was visiting Rome on a pilgrimage to see the relics and see whatever else he saw. He went to the Colosseum there and saw the gladiatorial games going on with all the blood and all the gore and on the violence. He was so disturbed by it that he went back to Egypt and just prayed that God would change it. No, those of you that know the story know that's not what happened. He listened to Bradley's message last week about being an active Christian. And so he actually moved with that. He actually ran into the Colosseum. True story. Ran into the Colosseum and put his body between them, pleading, no, no, don't do this. He knew that these guys were both made in the image of God and precious. Now, you can imagine if someone ran into an all-blacks game and says, guys, it's too violent. They'd probably throw beer bottles at him, wouldn't they? They didn't have any beer bottles back then. They threw stones and stoned him to death. Ooh. The emperor at the time, his name was Honorius. He was so disturbed by the murder of this innocent monk, he began to really contemplate, what are we doing here? Gosh, this is immoral, isn't it? And he issued a decree. This was January the 1st, 404 AD. He issued a decree banning the gladiatorial games. And from that day forward, they've been banned. Thanks to the effort of Telemachus. One man who lost his life in the arena that day, but saved many more. At least one life that day and many more to come. Gee, I wonder where he learned that move from. From his Savior, right? Christianity has elevated the sanctity of, of children, the value of children. Before the time of Christ, babies were routinely sacrificed to the gods and idols. If they were unwanted, they were just left un, you know, abandoned. They would be abandoned on the streets of Rome there or even sold off as slaves if they weren't, it couldn't be afforded them. Now, it was possibly because of the way children were treated at this time, Jesus gave one of his most scathing denouncements. He said this, he says, if anyone causes one of these little ones who believes in me to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned into the depths of the sea. Maybe this is why Don and I are so passionate about kids' ministry. I don't know. When Christians came on, the world scene, the world scene, the movie, if you will, began to change. Christians being moved by the love and compassion of Christ began to rescue the discarded children, the ones left on the streets of Rome, and they began to raise them as their own. This is where orphanages, the world's first orphanages, originated, was in Rome, the second and third centuries. Now, some critics, critics, they might argue, well, they were just more barbaric and uncivilized back then. Things would have changed without Christianity, but I want to push back in two ways. One is we see abandonment, and we see child slave, uh, slavery is still happening today in certain parts of the world. Usually it's third world, but it still happens. And secondly, what is abortion but the killing of unwanted children, right? What is that but a sacrifice to the God of self and career and convenience? Tough word, but true. The pro-life movement has been at the forefront, excuse me, Christianity has been at the forefront of saving kids' lives, the pro-life movement. The World Health Organization estimates it's 125,000 or so kids aborted every day. The abolition of slavery, by and large, 
Might have to do this by hand. The abolition of slavery, by and large, has Christianity to thank. We go to the next one there. It's true. When Jesus walked the earth, about half the world's population were enslaved. Get that. Imagine that. Half the building here would have been slaves to the other half, basically, when you go by the numbers. Wow. And while Jesus didn't teach or preach rebellion against the slave system per se, his followers almost immediately began to, to resist slavery as being unloving and unjust. They took Christ's command seriously to do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. Church funds were set up, not for building funds, but funds were set up in order to buy people out of the slave market just to set them free and emancipate them. Incredible. Early church fathers, such as Gregory of Nyssa, they would speak out against slavery, vilifying it as, as incompatible with Christianity. It was later Christians like William Lloyd Garrison in the United States and Christians like William Wilberforce and John Newton in the UK that led the abolitionist movements. Newton, he worked tirelessly for 30 years and only saw the abolition of slave trade in the UK on his deathbed. Well, the Bible says don't grow weary of well-doing, right? You'll reap if you don't faint. Wow. Christianity today, uh, it continues, to, Christians do, in, in freeing people out of slavery and out of trafficking with Christian organizations like this. Maybe you, some of you have heard of some of these things. Destiny Rescue, Justice Coalition, Faith Alliance, Walk Free Foundation. Maybe some of you support those. Every single part of the world where Christianity has spread, human life has become more sacred in value. When you go to areas where Christianity is not the predominant religion or there's no religion at all, human life is cheap, even in 2023. Some of you that have traveled the world a bit can attest to this. Women are in a much better position and hold much greater status than they ever have in history because of the influence of Christianity. Prior to Christ, a woman's life was seen as having very little value. In many cultures, the wives were the property of their husbands. Some of the husbands are saying, and that was a good thing. Why did we change it? Husbands, they could abuse their wives. Even murder their wives was complete impunity, not, not get in trouble for it. Women had no right of, of property ownership. In many cultures, uh, women weren't even allowed to speak in public, and they weren't allowed to get educated at all. Uh, when I was doing a mission trip in India uh, several years back in 2016, I, I saw this where many of the women remained ignorant there. Completely counter to the culture of the day, the Bible declared women to be of equal value and equal worth and equal dignity being made in the image of God and being co-heirs with Christ. The Bible commanded husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Boy, that's different than being property, isn't it? Christ gave his life. He sacrificed for the church. Ironically today, many radical women feminists think that they've been the victims of Christianity in the Bible. They think they've been repressed by the Bible when in reality they are the beneficiaries, the benefactors of what Christianity has brought in the liberation of women and the elevation of women. The benefits they hold today is largely because of Christianity. In the 19th century, a Hindu woman said to a missionary, surely your Bible was written by a woman, was it not? 
Why do, you say, uh, why do you say that? Asked the missionary. She says, because it says so many kind things about women. Our leaders never refer to us except in reproach. Because of God's gift to the world, Jesus Christ, the world has changed the way it's responded to people in need. People that have been impoverished or stricken by warfare or disease or plague or famine or natural disaster. You see, before Christ's time, it was very common when an area got struck by uh, a disease or a famine or something, that a nearby neighbor, instead of coming in to help and give aid, they would come in and conquer. What a better time to conquer when they're, you know, impoverished or whatever, when they're down. And so, very differently, um, in many countries, people still exploit the poor or the disabled or the needy rather than help them. The teachings and examples of Jesus made the world ask, and after the parable of the Good Samaritan, who is my neighbor and what can I do to help him? One of the things that draw, drew Don and I to this church was the benevolence here, the care for people the, during COVID is who needs, who needs help? Who needs help? It wasn't we need money. It was who needs help? I love that heart. I love that outward focus. That's real Christianity. I read a book some years back by a history, uh, excuse me, a professor of, of histor- the history of religion, His name was Rodney Stark. It's called The Rise of Christianity. And he identified the compassionate actions of Christians as a major contributor as to why the Christian religion, as opposed to so many others in the first century, shot up and rose to be a prominent world religion. He identified two major plagues that hit the Roman Empire. There was a 15-year epidemic in 165 A.D. It swept through the Roman Empire. Um, about a quarter to a third of the population died. About a century later, the plague of Cyprian hit, and 5,000 people a day were dying in the city of Alexandria. In both epidemics, it's well documented that the pagan priests, that the pagan doctors, that the pagan nobles, If they had the money and the means to, they fled. They got out of Dodge. They didn't want anything to do with that sick population there. In both plagues, it's also historically well documented that it was the Christians, whether they were wealthy or not, they stayed behind and helped the sick and the dying, much like Mother Teresa would do centuries later in the streets of Calcutta, helping the sick and the dying and helping those that were dying die with dignity. It was also documented during the plagues that it was the Christians who supplied food for thousands of poor on a daily basis. They buried the dead, not just the Christian dead, but the Roman dead who couldn't afford a proper burial. They would bury them. The Christian care was so notable during these plagues that a little while later, the Roman pagan emperor Julian eventually tried to copy the church welfare system. We need to do what they did, but it was a miserable failure. Why? Well, you think about it. If you're not a Christian, you don't, you don't have a worldview that says there's a hereafter. There's a life after. There are greater rewards in heaven than anything you might miss out on earth. There wasn't a great command from uh, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ doing it. There was only the command of the Caesar. There was only a good idea. There was only this is what we should do to make a better society. There was no heart change to accompany that. Force and compulsion are no drivers for societal change for sure. And Christianity continues to lead the way in the alleviation of suffering in the world. 
with organizations such as the Samaritan's Person, Salvation Army, World Vision, Christian Foundation for the Aging, United Methodist Committee on Relief, Operation Blessing. Many, maybe some of you have heard of these. Maybe some of you have been involved with these. Maybe some of you have done short-term mission trips to help relieve suffering of some sort in the world. It is truly life transformational. It really is. If you've not done a short-term or medium-term mission, I, I would encourage you to do that. It really is transformational to your life. How many have been in a hospital in the last year? Anybody been in a hospital in the last year? Probably some of you. I think my wife has. Once again, we have Christians and Christianity to thank for that. It was Christians who formed the world's first true hospital by, in Caesarea by St. Basil in the 4th century. As a matter of fact, it was Christians who established the first hospitals in most of the countries of the world today. Some of you are familiar with the church council where, where, the Church Council of Nicaea in 325 A.D. It's well known for recognizing the canon of Scripture. In other words, what, what books out there really do belong in our Christian Bible? And also they defended the, the doctrine of the Trinity, that God is a Father and a Son and a Holy Spirit. But a lesser known fact is, one of the outcomes of the Council of Nicaea in 325 was this. They mandated, they said, in every city where there is to be a church, there is also to be a hospital. Most people don't know that. In 1864, a Christian, Swiss Christian man named Henry Dunnant, he describes how he was absolutely compelled by the love of Christ to form what eventually became known as the Red Cross. In 1901, Henry Dunnant was the very first recipient of the Nobel Peace Prize because he formed the Red Cross. The International Red Cross is the largest humanitarian organization in the world. It helps some 10 million families a year. It's probably saved hundreds of millions of lives over its existence. If you can read this, if you can read it all, again, you have probably Christianity to thank. In all of early history, education was limited only to the rich, only those who could afford it, and most people could not. The poor, well, they were thought to be best just left ignorant. And so they were. It was against the law in many cultures to teach slaves how to read. Illiteracy, the inability to read and write, it was and is the key to keeping people enslaved, keeping people suppressed, keeping people oppressed. Even today, it's illegal to educate women in, in certain parts of the Muslim world. The phenomenon of ed phenomenon, yeah, of education for everyone. It's a Christian phenomenon. It's a Christian invention. It came from the reformers. I got my grandson and granddaughter in here thinking, oh, great, thanks a lot. Martin Luther, one of the leaders of the Protestant Reformation, he advocated turning the monasteries into schools. John Calvin in Geneva, another Reformation leader, he promoted the, the concept of education for everyone, not just the rich. And other reformers followed suit because they wanted them to be able to read the Bible in their own language. And while the, the Christian, the, the Protestant Reformation changed the face of the earth in many ways, this is probably the most dramatic, I would say, the most impactful. Because high literacy levels elevates people. It enables people to have freedom as individuals, as societies. Literacy, it brings economic stability to people and to tribes and regions and even entire nations. Where the path of Christianity has gone, you can see the gross domestic products of nations rise. We've even had, I think it was Mary Slessor in Africa, had her, her, her 
picture put on one of the bills because of the great change he brought there. And just as it was like for the case of hospitals, the very first true university, the University of Boulogne, was, was established by Christians in 1088. The greatest universities in the world, Oxford, Cambridge, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, etc., they were started by Christians and for Christian purposes. We find this, Harvard has this on its founding statement. It says, Let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to, well, to consider well the main end of his life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. They've strayed just a little bit from that mission statement today. Just a little. And ironically, they sometimes rail against Christianity and the Christian principles. Little do they know, many of them, that they owe their very existence to Christianity, to Christ. Now, it would be easy to conclude that the blessings and the benefits that Christianity has brought to the world, um, especially to those in need, were merely the food, merely the water, merely the hospitals, merely just the care and the physical necessities, provisions, and education. But Christianity brings one key element that can't be overlooked and it can't be minimized. Christianity brings Christ. It brings Christ, the game changer. There was an atheist, is an atheist. He was a is a British political writer from the Sunday Times. His name is Matthew Paris. He wrote an article in the Sunday Times in December of 2008. In part, he writes, As an atheist, I truly believe Africa needs God. Missionaries, not aid money, are the solution to Africa's biggest problem. Before Christmas, I returned after 45 years to Malawi, the country I grew up in as a boy. I am a confirmed atheist, but I've become convinced of the enormous contribution that Christian evangelism makes in Africa, sharply distinct from the work of secular NGOs, government projects, and international aid efforts. These alone will not do. Education and training alone will not do. In Africa, Christianity changes people's hearts. It brings a spiritual transformation. The rebirth is real. The change is good. Remember... It was written from an atheist who grew up in Malawi. He would know better, wouldn't he? Now, critics would object, well, we don't need Christianity to, to do good, to alleviate suffering, to respond to people in need. And that's true. But the big question is, do they? Do the non-religious, do the atheists respond to people in need? You look at the data, and no matter what survey you look at, the answer is resoundingly no. Not to any significant degree does the atheist community, the non-religious community, to, uh, respond to people in need. Data from the, P the Pew survey reports strongly otherwise. The World Bank survey found that no other organizations are more firmly rooted or have better networks in poor communities than the religious ones. The, phil the philanthropy panel study reaffirmed, they said, substantial connection between religion and giving. Someone with a religious affiliation was more than two times as generous as someone without a religious affiliation. A 2016 study, my brother-in-law gave me the study after I preached this in America. Brian and Melissa Grimm of Georgetown, they, they studied the social economic impact of Christianity in America and said that 
the benefits that the American Christians give to the American society yearly is at minimally $1 trillion worth. But if you count the volunteer time in soup kitchens and, and orphanages and homes and whatnot, if you counted the man hours and everything, it'd be more like $4.8 trillion. That's a third of the American GDP. The well-respected British journalist Malcolm Muggeridge, he said this. We'll put it up there. He says, I've spent a number of years in India and Africa where I found much righteous endeavor undertaken by Christians of all denominations, but I never, as it happens, came across a hospital or an orphanage run by the Fabian Society, that's the British Social Society, or a humanist leper colony. In other words, he's seen lots of good being done, but it's always by Christians and Christian organizations. Now, I think I might have said before, I, I, I was a science teacher in America. I, I love science. I'm, my, my wife calls me Todd Funk the science hunk. Don't repeat that. <laughs> I just love science. And so I would be remiss. I wouldn't be able to sleep tonight if I didn't at least touch on, touch on the influence of Christianity to science. Now, it's commonly suggested that God and science are opposed to one another or that religion has hampered or impedes the progress of science. But it's unquestionably true that science arose from within a Christian worldview and a Christian framework. Science was built on and science works on the very premise of a universe operating under predictable, orderly, regular, discoverable laws. These laws, these predictabilities came about from a lawgiver, God. As a matter of fact, we have Johannes Kepler He's the one that discovered the laws of planetary motion and heliocentric universe. He said, he describes science as this, thinking God's thoughts after him. That's what pushed him to discover and investigate. I want to find out how this orderly God did it. How did he order, order, order the universe? And, and a lot of the great thinkers back then had that same mindset. Many of the greatest thinkers and scientists of history were Christian men. Men like Nicholas Copernicus, Isaac Newton, Galileo, Louis Pasteur, who probably saved more lives than anybody before or since. Francis Collins, the head of the Human Genome Project. Raymond Dimidian, the guy that invented in the 90s uh, the MRI machine. Professor and historian of Christianity, uh, Rodney Starkey, says this. He says, the success of the West, including the rise of science, rested entirely on religious foundations. And the people who brought it about were devout Christians. It's estimated by a guy named Baruch Shalev that in the entire 20th century, about 65% of the Nobel Prize winners were Christian. In the last hundred years, 98 or so percent of all medical advancement have been done under Christendom in quote-unquote Christian countries. Time doesn't allow me to, to talk about the influence of Christianity on the arts and on music and on government and on free enterprise and work ethic. We've got a lot more influence there. There's an atheist. His name is Tom Holland. He wrote, recently wrote a book, and I'm closing here. It's called Dominion, and he argues that it was the Christian revolution that made the modern Western world. He goes so far as to say, without Christianity, the Western world would not exist. He's an atheist. Actually, does debates and talks about this. He claims even that the, the, the modern social justice warrior who, who, 
go about talking about all the injustices and they, they lump Christianity as being oppressive and, and stuff. He says even these social justice warriors are building their arguments on Christian premises. He says unless Christianity had come, no one would have gotten woke. There'd be no woke culture today because their arguments are based on Christian premises. I love his quote here. He says, Christianity is the very water that Western civilization swims in. Any basis of morality that that we have in the West is based on a Judeo-Christian ethic, on the Bible, whether people recognize that or not. So to cry that something's unjust, well, what's our standard of justice? It comes from our Christian heritage and roots. I wholeheartedly agree with Professor James Russell Lowell. He was a professor at Harvard, and he was an editor at the Atlantic Weekly. He said this. He said, I challenge any skeptic to find a 10-square-mile spot on this planet where they can live their lives in peace and safety and decency, where womanhood is honored, where infancy and old age are revealed, where they can educate their children, where the gospel of Jesus Christ has not gone first to prepare the way. I would agree with that wholeheartedly. So, my friends, as you hear, as you see, as you watch the modern culture sometimes make accusations about Christianity and how it's such a scorn on the planet, you know the truth of the matter. You know the historical truth, what Christ has done. And it's true that we do have our ugly snapshots to own up to, the crusades, the inquisitions, the nutcases that do things claiming to be Christians. But our portfolio... Our Christian legacy is nothing less than a light to the world. And while it's true that, you know, if Jesus had never been born, there there would be no William Wilberforces, there'd be no Mother Teresa, there'd be no Henry Dunant's and Red Crosses, right? The world would be a dark, cruel, heartless place. To borrow a line from C.S. Lewis in The Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe, a world without Christ, it would be always winter, but never Christmas. Now, to take this from the abstract, from the theoretical, you've had a history lesson. That's good. I'm going to turn the corner here and challenge us, myself, with a question. A slight alteration of today's title. We've seen how the world's a better place because Jesus was born, right? But my question, is the world a better place? Is it a different place because of your Christianity, because of my Christianity? What if we put our name in the blank there? What if Todd Funk had never been born again? What if I'd never gotten saved? How would things look differently? Hopefully, it'd be a a great difference with that, right? My question to us all is, is God's greatest gift to mankind, Jesus Christ, is He affecting my life, your life, in a noticeable way? Again, to allude to last week, are we active Christians? Close your eyes with me for just a minute. I want us to ask ourselves a few questions questions. What am I doing personally, currently, to make this world look and feel a little bit more like heaven? What causes, what humanitarian efforts am I currently involved in? What pain and misery and suffering am I helping to alleviate? What injustices am I speaking out about or doing something about? Am I, like Telemachus, willing to risk ridicule and social death by taking a stance that runs counter to the modern culture?
will the Lord one day, like Clarence the angel, be able to show me my life, how my family is different, community is different. The world is a better place because of what I've done. Let me just pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for being a light to the world, God's gift from heaven. And thank you for bringing peace on earth and goodwill towards us. God, help me. Help us to continue the fantastic legacy of trying to make the earth look a little more like heaven. God, I commit my head, I commit my heart, I commit my hands to the service of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.